Hi, and welcome to Liberating Libraries, a project of the Conspiracy of Equality. My name is Blake. And my name is Caitlin. And if you want to know more about the Conspiracy of Equality, you can check out our website at liberatinglibraries.org. So what are we doing today? Today we're going to talk about authors that kind of the other one isn't so fond of. Yeah. So we decided that it might be interesting to um, explore two authors that have meant a lot to us as readers, but that the other one of us doesn't really um, doesn't really like reading in the same way, and use that to talk about what draws us to different authors, why we can have different styles and different kinds of reading that we want to do, but still end up being able to take some interesting stuff from it. Um, so this is going to be part one of two, um, and we're going to be doing like a little bit of an interviewee kind of style because we love reading, but we also sometimes love authors that the other one doesn't. Exactly. And we want to talk about them, but the other one doesn't. Um, so I'm going to be talking about an author that I really like that you've read a bit of but aren't really as drawn to and vice versa. And um, so this one is the first part, and that's going to be you interviewing me about Dion Brand. Yes. And in part two, I will be talking about John Steinbeck. Yeah. So who is Dion Brand? Yeah, so Dion Brand is um, a Canadian author. She's originally from Trinidad and Tobago, and she um, has been a prolific author in Canada for decades. Um, she's written short stories, uh, novels, poetry, and political texts. Um, she was made part of the Order of Canada in 2017. She was Poet Laureate for Toronto. Um, she is a woman who writes a lot about diaspora, race, sexuality, and politics, specifically in the Canadian context. And um, I just really like her work. Why do you think, why do you feel that you're drawn to her work, to, to Brand's work, to Brand's writing? I first uh, came across Brand after I had been reading some Jamaica Kincaid, um, who is another uh, Caribbean author, and I was looking for other female authors, Anglo-Caribbean authors, and Deanne Brand's name came up, and she wasn't someone that I'd ever read, you know, growing up or ever encountered in any of my studies, but I, you know, I wanted to, to sort of expand my understanding of Anglo-Caribbean literature, and um, I was really drawn, so the first book of hers that I, that I read was actually one of her more difficult books. It, it's called In Another Place, Not Here. And I was really drawn to a lot of aspects of her writing style, her, um, her putting out there of black identities, queer women in her, in her stories. And um, especially her, uh, the fact that she writes about Caribbean diaspora and diaspora in general in the Canadian context. So I think I was also, I think at the time, reading a lot of uh, stories about immigrant experiences in the United States and in Great Britain. And it was just really interesting to take, um, to take someone who talks about those things in a Canadian context, because while things look really similar across those spaces, they also look um, very particular in Canada. Hmm. So kind of building on that, what does the author do for you politically? Yeah, so I think that Brand is, like Brand um, is a super political author. Like she is an explicitly political person and she brings her politics to everything that she writes. 
And she writes very deliberately about race, sexuality, um, diaspora, and uh, revolution. So she herself spent time in Granada during the revolution, um, during the struggles there in the 80s, and she writes, you know, from the perspective of having been part of those kind of struggles. She's also someone who's um, who's not afraid of, of showing up the hypocrisy of Canada and this particular hypocrisies of how Canadian ideas of belonging and whiteness sort of er elide and, and obscure the underlying racism of Canadian society, how colonialism and anti-black and anti-immigrant um, and anti racism works in the country and, and the effect that that has on people um, who've immigrated here. And like the labor politics of it all, she's also someone who's worked a lot of different jobs in Canada as a result of being you know, a migrant from the Caribbean. Um, She's very aware of writing, as she describes it, she talks about putting black existence as the thought, not the unthought in her work. So making black existence something that, that can be thought in, um, in our imagination and in, in literary terms. I, and I think that she's also really aware that, you know, that this idea of representation in literature is not just about who we see, but how we see them. So like how we see people um, who have sort of marginal identities in our literature, um, how we see them being portrayed is really important. Um, you mentioned how like one of the ways that in her writing that she kind of unpacks the ways in which kind of Canada obscures its anti-black racism. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering, can you like think of an example in her writing kind of that like kind of unpacks what you mean by that? Um. Yeah, so in one of her books, um, she, uh, so in the book, In the Full and Change of the Moon, um, she talks, like, it's a book that spans uh, several decades, and it's it's a, ser a set of stories that's spanning the experience of people who are connected familially out of this uh, Caribbean family, but living across um, the Caribbean, the United States, and Canada particularly in the in the the stories that are about how people experience the sort of isolation that they feel in Canada and the discrimination that they feel in the country she really unpacks how that history is is um, the importance of that history and how that experience goes counter to the narratives that the Canadian state tells itself and tells other people in the world about multiculturalism and belonging like, I really like the way that she is sort of challenging the cultural imperialism of whiteness in its Canadian form, right? Not just thinking about cultural imperialism as coming from the United States and, and spreading outwards, but that Canada as a peripheral nation, but one that is also an imperial nation, has its own forms of, of that kind of cultural imperialism. And like one of the things that she talks about in her political work is she talks about the role of history and how there's an idea within like within whiteness in Canada that the Canadian coming to Canada is a, is a chance to be liberated from history, is a chance to have sort of a fresh start and be liberated from from the past, from the, the countries that people come from. And she really challenges this as not really capturing the experience of black folks and people of color whose histories have actually been stolen from them. 
and where history is something that's been broken and been sh and, and shattered in a way where actually recovering that history and and building on it and and using it to learn from is actually a site of liberation itself rather than running away from that history so i think like in one of the ways you've put it to me is that brand is trying to tell the maybe not the history of diaspora but trying to tell like history and community in through what's broke and like how things are broken and I was just wondering like do you want to like talk about that and like so kind of what do you mean by that as well as sort of like how do you think that differs from other ways that diaspora gets talked about yeah so I think that um so there's uh, one of the short uh, one of the stories in um, at the full and change of the moon is and it's probably my favorite one or one of my favorite ones from the book is called blue airmail letter and in it she's writing um, it's the the person writing the story is she's writing a letter to her mother who's uh, who's in Trinidad um, but what you what you realize that through the course of it is that she's writing sort of um, not specific like it's not actually a letter that you would send and then we learn that that her mother's actually passed away and she's sort of writing a retrospective th thinking through all the things that she wishes she could say to her having mm -hmm. sort of moved to Toronto and um, distanced herself from her family in certain ways and this is how she describes Toronto I'm living in a city at the end of the world mama it is rubble. It is where everyone has been swept up, all of it. All of us are debris, things that a land cleaning itself spits up. It is the end of the world here. The office buildings and factory buildings and houses and shops and garages all wreathed in oil and dust and piled up on top of themselves. It is as if some pustule erupted from the ground and it is this city. It is bloated and dry at the same time, crumbling with newness, rubble and glitter. And that to me is just one of like a really clear, like it's a beautiful passage and it's just a really clear and telling way of like how she thinks about like a place like Toronto that we talk about as being, you know, it's the most diverse city in, in the world or in, in North America. And like, it's this place where all of these cultures get to meet and there's all this fusion and energy and all of these wonderful things, but it's actually also a place where all of these broken histories are sort of being cast up out of the rubble um, and thinking about it in that way really kind of challenges the romanticization that we have in Canada of what it means to have kind of had all of these people with all these different sort of trajectories and structures and oppressions that have worked on them and their families all these people like come together in one place and like how that could actually be really isolating or really um, like all of the damage that exists from that. And um, I think it's, a, it's an interesting take on diaspora too, because like in this book, in the full and, at the full and change of the moon, she's really, she's writing a history of a people, but it's told in these fragmented stories and in these stories that don't necessarily connect to each other, but they do if you're sort of following through on the, like if you're paying attention and you're following through what's happening, they do connect. And they're also just, there's so much trauma and so much doubt and pain. And so many times that you're reading and you're realizing that there's like, there's trauma that people don't even know about that you read about three, three chapters or three stories ago. 
that you know might be affecting the like the history of the way this person's life has unfolded, but they don't even know about it. And and then that I think is a really important reality for for people of color. I think it's an important reality specifically for people from the Caribbean and yeah, I just I like the way that she draws that all together. Um, so Brand has a very distinct writing style, um, and a kind of she plays with form a lot when she writes. So can you just kind of explain, like, kind of talk about what that does for you, and like kind of give an overview, I guess, of more what that form and style is, as well as like what that what that does for you as a reader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think this is like the sticking point. I think for like for you and me is that. You find her form really difficult to read, and I, I actually find it something that's really enjoyable to read. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's super, it's um, it's specific and difficult and interesting, I think. So, Brand is a poet, and she's a political thinker, and she's also someone who I think wants to talk about, um, talk about the the way that structures exist and create us as people and our thoughts and our our ways of of being and seeing the world and so a lot of her work is it's not strictly speaking stream of consciousness but it's very internally focused or uh, sorry not internally focused it's very internal driven so it's driven by interior monologues and internal um, the internal thoughts of characters so in um, in the book, in another place, not here, is actually the story of a relationship between two women in the context of um, the revolution in, in Granada. One is from Granada, the other is from Toronto, but has come as a revolutionary um, or as someone to support the struggle. And it's it's a story of the relationship, but the first half is told from one perspective, and the second half is told from the other. As, as first as you're reading it, you're really only getting this like one person's um, thought process about their relationship. But I think that what she ends up doing through that is actually unpacking the very complex and also intimate and um, profound ways that all of the structures of racism, colonialism, gender oppression, um, uh, patriarchy, how all of these structures actually operate on us as people, because all of her characters are kind of operating through these structures and becoming through these structures. They're becoming um, who they are. And and I think one of the things that she's that she's doing and does really well is talk about identity and identity formation in really explicitly political ways um, and kind of seeing how like the internal monologue, the internal thought process is actually in many ways the working out internally of all the structures and external forces that operate on us and also resistance to those things. So it's always intimate, it's always, it's always intensely political, all of these sort of internal, um, uh, internal thoughts are always so deeply political and are formed by the social world, are formed by the world around us. So it's like, I think it's important because 
her approach to identity is so much deeper than just talking about representation or just trying to say, you know, trying to have characters that represent different, um, different marginalized identities. What she's really, I think, getting at is, um, is that is the political process that identity formation is and how, like how, where we have controls over it, but also like all the ways we don't have any controls over it. Like I was talking about with the histories that sometimes we don't even know about ourselves that are actually affecting like inter intergenerational traumas that are affecting people in ways they don't even realize are happening because they don't necessarily have access to those stories. Um, and like, it's difficult to read her sometimes. Like, I, I mean, I've tried to read her, her poetry more recently, and I actually find her poetry really, really challenging. Like, I think you have to really work at it to get it, and I don't think I'm smart enough to get it. Um, but you know that she's, like, she's really thinking up, um, thinking a lot about, about how, she's, how she's writing. And then the other thing that I really like about the way that she particularly does internal monologue um, is that it's always it always feels like it's very relational and very it's actually very much a dialogue it's just a dialogue that you're only hearing like one one side of for example and I think that that's different than a lot of internal monologue which can which can tend to focus on um, too much on a person's thoughts as coming from themselves whereas I think brand is very aware that our thoughts are about our relationships with each other and relations that we have in the world and the way that we process them and think about them. So, yeah, I just really appreciate the way that she pulls all of those things together. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I have an example um, from one of her most recent uh, novels called Theory, which is told in sort of um, uh, the narrators telling the stories of three different relationships. And, um, and while they're in the process of writing their dissertation. And um, this is just to kind of give a sense of like the kind of writing that she does. So I couldn't carry on a decent argument with Odalis. She always ended up spiritually wounded, she said. I tried another way. I explained to Odalis that it was what it was to live in ideology. I summarized Althusser. Affirming Althusser, Odalis refused to admit to believing in ideology. I said, it's not a belief, it's how you exist. Added to this, Odalis wanted the most distressing manifestation of a wedding. She wanted a particular dress. She wanted rings. She wanted a priest of some kind. She wanted flowers and music and food. She wanted a public declaration. She wanted the most conventional performance of a wedding. I knew that Odalis resented my not having descended to one knee to present her with a ring. I asked Odalis, can we imagine a different method by which to express whatever this is and that we are doing? Admittedly, I have no alternative scenario laid out. And this is the difficulty with progressive politics. The scenarios of the conventional are so deeply ingrained, so routine and systematic, so normal, that it's impossible to imagine counter scenarios, or rather the counter scenario leans so heavily on the scenario as to be disturbingly undifferentiated. Isn't it possible, I ask, that we simply live together as autonomous individuals who share at times drink and food and sex without becoming a corporation? without privileging our weaknesses and frailty as the economy of our living. At the same time, it's important to note that the philosopher Althusser killed his wife. And I just <laughs> really like that passage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a really good passage. Um, 
So I don't think it's something we've talked about on the podcast before, but I know it's something that we've read about and like have had kind of discussions outside of it. It's just how the the power that you know publishing companies have, but in particular when they look at the audience, the audience is primarily is primarily white women. So mm-hmm. in particular, authors of color are really kind of forced to write in a way that will satisfy the needs and desires of white women, which can be really obviously very, very limiting in what they write. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question for you is, do you think brand does that? Do I think brand writes for white women? Ugh. I think I think I'd probably say no. Yeah. Um it's I I think I would say no because to the extent that like I think that her primary intentions and focus is about like I said about creating the possibilities of black existence in thought and in the imagination. And I think that you can't do that in a way that caters to whiteness without failing, mm-hmm. right? Without failing to actually give that the full meaning and, and value that it deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and because I think that she's successful, I, I think that she can't be, she can't be writing in a way that's, that's for that privileging that white female audience. Um, I definitely think that she's difficult to read and she's, you know, she's difficult to read um, for anybody. And I think she's difficult to read for whiteness. And she thinks she's difficult to read for Canadian whiteness mm-hmm. because she's really pushing the boundaries of, like, how white folks in Canada like to think of themselves as very civil and very accepting and tolerant and, and all of these things and not think about those histories that, um, that we're all complicit in and that we're, that we're part of. Yeah, I don't know. Do you agree? Because you you read Brand before I did. Did you ever think that she was writing for you or for white women or for? No, like <clears throat> I mean, it's it's also like I think I need to place the thing. Like I would never have thought about this question had I not read these couple of articles. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of like like it's something that I have to reflect on. But like I think the other thing that Brand does, besides being just unapologetically critical of like Canadian identity and the ways in which black people fit into this identity is she like at least in at the full and change of the moon which is the one that I've read there's no like redemption story right Mm -hmm. whereas like I feel like that is such a key part of writing for whiteness is that it needs to have some type of resolve that fits in within like white supremacy Mm. Even though it's not necessarily like, like obviously it's not explicit, but like there needs to be some type of resolve that, oh, we as individuals can just figure it out and we can just get better. Mm. And I don't think Brand does that. Like I think Brand leaves it on the table and you're kind of forced to figure out what to do with it. At least that's what my reading of her is. And I think, I think that is a really smack back against like whiteness Mm -hmm. because whiteness needs to have it spoon fed for it yeah and maybe not even just spoon fed it's also like whiteness doesn't think as much about community Mm. and about like community history histories 
right? And like, I think one of the things that um, really draws me to, drew me to um, at the full and change of the moon is like, there were so many things in that that I felt that I could really recognize about like little pieces, bits and pieces of family stories or communal histories that that you that you piece together but that are somehow like always kind of out of reach because that history has been so like like I said has been so stolen and so broken and there's so many ways in which like people don't even want to talk about those histories and I think there's a lot of connections drawn between different communities of color of how histories um, are both like lost and then recovered, but then also too traumatic for people to talk about. So I think that one of the things that she's really, that she really pushes in this pushback against the, like the cultural imperialism of whiteness in Canada is this idea that we come without histories or that we can be without histories in this country. And that is a big part of how Canadian whiteness, like I remember as a kid being in, you know, being in schools with people who had just come from, who were children of, you know, refugee uh, families coming from the former Yugoslavia and being in schools with them and having our teachers talk about how, like how Canada is a place where you can come from conflict, but you leave the conflict where it was. And then you and and you know as a kid growing up in in school it was like it took me a while to like to process what that really meant and like the implications that that means for like for people and how what does that mean when you're talking about a people who were literally enslaved and then like enslaved for hundreds of years and who were just thrown haphazardly from one part of the world to another with like, and all of those connections got broken and all of those family like trajectories got broken. Like, what does it mean then to say, oh, but that's okay because history, like, because this land is a place where we can, we can leave our conflicts elsewhere in the past. And so just to me, like that's that's what Brand is doing. And the other thing that I think makes her uncomfortable for Canadian whiteness is that Brand is unapologetic about Canada as an imperial country and Canada's imperialism abroad. Like Canada is a colonial state and it's an imperial state and it has imperial relations to other parts of the Americas and to the Caribbean. And she's unapologetic about that. And I think white Canadians find that uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, finally, which book would you recommend people start with? Ooh. If they wanted to start with Brand. Ooh. <laughs> um, of the ones that I've read, I mean, I think I like At the Full and Change of the Moon at the most. Um, the most. And, like, I think that it's it's a beautiful story about, like, how violent the experience of the Caribbean diaspora is. Um, so that's one that I, I really, I think people should read, um, but it is, it is challenging. So I also think her most recent novel theory, uh, it is about someone in an academic, in the academic world and writing her dissertation. Um, but it's also just very poignant and actually really hilarious. Um, so I, I do recommend that as well, but her political essays are just firecrackers <laughs> <laughs> so everything you think everything, everything people, sh people should read everything i mean that's usually how i feel about authors i <laughs> yeah. like right <laughs> all righty okay well part two coming soon part two coming soon and uh 
Thanks for listening to me ramble about Dion Brand. Music for this podcast is by Ketza from their album Metamorphosis. You can find them at the Free Music Archive or at ketzamusic.com. So all you had to do was be smarter than me. <laughs> no, it's because I'm just blathering. Yeah, that's okay. Blather. Okay, so <clears throat> I know what I'm going to say first. Nine minutes. Tick tock, tick tock. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs>